With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are Y Whales. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Again, Y Whalers, wherever in the world uh, you seem to be roaming today. So it is uh, March 23rd, 2023. Uh, Bitcoin is is literally now bouncing back and forth between the 28,000. It's gone, it was it was almost at 29, dropped to 27, back at around 28. Um, and, and there's utter just chaos in these markets right now. The, the SEC is just laying waste to anyone they can find, including now saying that, that you know, you should be cautious of any cryptocurrency holdings you have. Um, and it's just causing, you know, I would say quite a bit of chaos in the markets, but shockingly not really having the negative effect that I would I would think so. Um, that being said, you know, I, I think a lot of us really have made lots of good investments, made lots of really well-educated investments into the space. And we continue to want to just be able to follow the regulation side of things. Because uh, the end of the day, it's, you know, most people are happy to pay their taxes. They're happy to, you know, follow along by the rules. Just trying to understand the rules and also to help the players understand what this is, is really one of the most important parts. So education still continues to be, I'd say, the largest gap um, in Web3, whereas most people just don't understand what these are. And that's starting starts with kind of a lot of the three-letter agencies, not just in the United States, but worldwide. Um, so I'm really excited to kind of have a, an amazing guest with here today. Uh, we've got Jack, Zach, oh my God, Zach from Geo. Um, and really, this is going to be a good one because you guys are a DeFi protocol designed for the use of people, um, designed to go directly to to the, the retail investors and the everyday users. And, um, you know, I, I, again, I'm, I'm a massive DeFi fan, I'm super excited about, you know, the prospects of it, um, but it's going to take a long roadmap to get mass adoption um, there. I do believe it's a better system. But you know, before we we dive into everything that Gia is doing and, and what you've been working on, let's let's take a few steps back to kind of how you got here today, because you do have a very storied journey and a really diverse, you know, background. Awesome. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be here with you, Jay. Hello, Y Whalers everywhere. Um, I guess to, to to really tell the story of Gia probably has to begin with me and where I where I came from. I grew up in Philadelphia. Um, and you know what? I think the way I ended up working most of my career and expanding financial access in emerging markets probably goes to the fact that when I was growing up, my parents would, uh, you know, we were big foodies. And so we'd always go to restaurants from different parts of the world, at like an Indian restaurant on the corner or a Vietnamese restaurant or an Ethiopian restaurant. And I think from a young age, I just knew I really wanted to spend my life traveling and meeting folks from different cultures and getting as much street food as I could. So I actually began my my life after college as an English teacher because it was a great way for a fresh college grad to hop around the world. I taught in classrooms in India and in Brazil and in Ethiopia. And I think, so, I mean, one of the, the great things about this experience for me is, I mean, it did give me the chances to hang out with street vendors, which is really where I learned about the, uh, the, the challenge of, of financial access, it's really difficult to run a business, whether it's selling tacos or chapatis on the roadside or something you know larger and more substantial. But without access to financing, it's really hard to grow your business and provide for your family and your community. Um, and so that was sort of maybe the foundation I had so that when I began my formal professional career after teaching 
as a management consultant, I think I was able to probably maybe BS my way onto international development projects on the idea that, well, I've lived in developing countries, so that'll be a relevant place for me. And so it was sort of in, in the beginning of my time as a, as a consultant, I started working on financial inclusion projects. Most of them were funded by large development institutions like USAID and the World Bank. And um, if we think about the general problem we were trying to solve, it was literally for, you know, imagine that person selling samosas on the street in India or tacos on the street in Mexico. You know, why don't they have access to financing to grow their businesses? And if you went to banks in India or Mexico or most places in Africa, Asia or Latin America, banks would say, well, first, there's no data about these folks. So maybe they sell a bunch of tacos every day, but I have no idea how many tacos they're selling. And second, uh, is it really worth my while? Because this guy, he probably only needs like a couple hundred dollars of working capital for his business. It probably costs me more than that just to send a loan agent down and verify his information and take all the collateral. So it's not, I'm not even going to bother. So that's sort of like the problem set that I began my career working on. And the, the first wave of solutions, the first wave of microfinances, as I call it, it was, was based on, uh, community microfinance models. Um, a lot of them sort of got famous um, from Muhammad Yunus and the Grameen Bank, which, you know, obviously they won a Nobel Prize. But the general idea was um, traditionally people save and borrow in small community groups. And so in the absence of banks providing a loan to this, these taco sellers, they probably are already doing something for themselves. Maybe 20 of the their fellow taco sellers in their community are all pooling their money together so that they can borrow in a, in a time of need. And what we were working on, what I was working on in, in these consulting projects was basically working with these small groups to provide external financing. And the thing that worked really well about these uh, small community microfinance institutions is people felt this real sense of ownership because they had their money in there and it was their, 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 their friends and family and neighbors that were taking loans. And so when they would make money, it was based on the local interest and they knew that they could go there for, for loans when they had to. The challenge with these models is they really couldn't scale very well. Once, once these groups got to be over a certain size, you sort of lost that community trust uh, sense. And even just from a practical operational perspective, to organize these groups and to serve them from a microfinance institution perspective, you'd have to hire more loan agents to go into more communities. Um, very manual operationally intense. So seeing that is what led me to switch to what I think is was like the second wave of microfinance, the next wave of trying to solve this problem using technology. And uh, I, I worked at a really pioneering company that was one of the first to launch a mobile lending app. And this is the general idea that let's say there's 3 billion people around the world without credit scores, without maybe even without a bank account. There's a good chance that many of them now have phones and your phone has all this great walking data about you. Um, it's also a great way to reach you right in your palm. And so with this mobile lending app, what we did is we basically let people apply for a loan on their phones and give us access to their phone data. And we'd use that to underwrite them for loans that were as small as $10, maybe up to a couple hundred dollars. Wow. Um, and that compared to the first microfinance 1.0, these models really scaled really well. I mean, I joined that company um, in, I guess, 2016. And within a couple of years, we were in countries across Africa, Asia, and Latin America and had reached millions of borrowers. But what we gained in scale, we really lost in that community sense of ownership, right? Um, 
the borrowers of that company, they didn't own any of it. It was all owned by Silicon Valley investors or, or the employees. Um, and so the, that stickiness, that loyalty, I think wasn't quite there. Whereas with their small community groups, they, they owned a piece of it. And so it was not uncommon actually when I was doing user research at that company, uh, to hear, I would hear this from a, from Kenyan borrowers. They'd say, Hey, with my SACO and in Kenya, a SACO is a savings and credit cooperative. It's a, okay. an acronym. And, uh, they'd say, Hey, in my SACO, after I repay my loan, I put my money in and I get shares, you know, and then, I'm an owner and I've been taking your guys' loans for a year now. I like the product. I mean, I see these TechCrunch articles about you guys raising all this money. So can I, I'd like some shares too. And in the reality is it's just really, really difficult for like a U.S. privately held company with its own set of shareholding to all of a sudden distribute ownership around the world to, you know, maybe some guy, like I mentioned, selling chapatis in India and some guy selling tacos in Mexico. We're going to give them all a bunch of shares and really tough. But what got me really excited about this world of Web3 that I guess probably a lot of you Y Whale folks were already up on um, was I think probably listening to one of these like ownership economy Web3 podcasts, probably with Chris Dixon and Nepal yeah. Ravi Kant, one of those like famous ones from a couple of years ago, where they talked about, you know, what if we could use a token to represent ownership and distribute that ownership in this more efficient, effective, and inclusive way? And that's sort of what got me thinking about, huh, what if we had this this concept of a fintech microfinance institution, but with the principles of community ownership, where we could represent ownership on chain through a token, and that that token would have claim to you know a flow of revenues, and when and basically make it easy to distribute ownership. And so so this is sort of the origin idea of Geo was was uh, my co-founder and I. She was at that, that company with me as well um, at the at the microfinance lending company. Um, and we said, hey, let's launch Let's launch a company where we can provide financing to borrowers. And when they repay, give them access to token rewards. So they actually become owners. And that is probably, I guess that's sort of like my personal journey to how I got to where I am and, and what we're trying to do at GIA. That's amazing. So, you know, I, I always love the people that, that, you know, they've been trying to solve a problem for, you know, years, sometimes a decade and just, you know, kind of, you know, tried this approach, tried that approach, you know, worked for the big companies, worked for the small companies, did startups and everything else. Um, and, and then what's really so much fun is we all kind of find web three and we go smart contracts, like mm-hmm. this can solve so much, but we're also so early, <laughs> you know, in totally. this that, that not only are we stuck with Hey, the technology is still evolving day day over day. I mean, literally, it's a, one of the most rapidly evolving asset classes I've ever seen. Um, but but you know, you've got to do the education on what it is and what it isn't, and how to roll this out. So I love the concept of you know owner digital ownership. To me, that's one of the biggest you know promises of Web three is you know, hey, I'm using your product. I, what what else are you going to do for me? And and it becomes a thing. You can either say no, you know, we're we're a privately held company or absolutely here. We, we run a DAO, we run some sort of reward program and it's, and it's frictionless and, you know, and very cost effective for you compared to distributing shares and doing things like ESOPs or, you know, whatever, whatever it would be. Right. Right. Um, yeah, I, I think it's the, the idea of web three and of, of smart contract based ownership is really exciting, but I'm not sure if this was the question you were asking, but I'll just come out and answer it. It's really Absolutely. difficult to communicate that to a, a mass audience still. I think we're still really in these early days of how do we mainstreamify the benefits of blockchain technology? And that's why I think you still haven't seen 
really much of a mainstream killer app coming out of the cryptoverse. I mean, a lot of people, of course, are speculating and trading as asset classes, um, but the, but you don't have widespread adoption sort of at the at the grassroots level, especially if you go to a place like Kenya where we're doing our initial lending. And so, actually, what we what we do for now is a lot of the blockchain elements are sort of abstracted away from the borrower experience. So mm-hmm. when a borrower comes to Gia and they say that, you know, they're trying to get inventory financing to, you know, restock their shop or something. Mm-hmm. Um, we're using, I guess what you'd call like, it's, it's, it's uh, right now it's off chain data, right? It's, I mean, it's, it's very rich. It's about, you know, all of their business activities and all the kind of KYC data we'd, we'd take in any other lending institution. But when they and when they get when they get funds, they still today they want it in Kenyan shillings, or they want their you know their 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 suppliers want to be paid in Kenyan shillings. And so what has to happen in the background for us is we're off ramping funds from an on chain liquidity pool and giving them that loan. And when they repay, the the funds are then on ramped back into crypto. But for the borrowers, a lot of their experience might not feel particularly Web three native. And that, and that's the goal, you know. It, it it to me, it always needs to be invisible. The technology is, you know, needs to be solid and secure. And but that's for us, you know, geeks and nerds to to make sure we flush out, and and for the regulators to to you know pr- kind of pressure test. Um, but but for the users, like no one goes to a, onto a website and goes, "Is this Amazon S three mm-hmm. or Azure?" Because I'm an Azure guy, and I, I just right. you know that that S three stuff, like eh, I don't want it on my browser. And so really, that's the problem I think that Web three still faces right now is there's there's a lot of change that are going to be coming. And whether you're an Ethereum Maxi, a Cosmos Maxi, a Solana Maxi, they're going to have to get over themselves very quickly and just say there's a lot of different chains. They need to interconnect in a variety of ways because at the end of the day, there's a goal that we haven't really identified as an asset class, and that is what is the user experience. Like okay. we entirely forgot about what the end result here is, and 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 part of this is if we're talking about um, you know commerce, which is exactly what what your clients need, which is I need to be able to buy things or invest in, in myself or my product. You've got to be able to buy bread with it. Mm-hmm. And it's great that you can create investment accounts. And a lot of people use these and speculate on the future it is. But if you can't actually like you know, like purchase bread, which is the most basic you know need that we have, then then what are we really trading? And so I love that that you've already incorporated that on and off ramp. Um, but let's just do this. Let's just jump right into Gia and, and walk us through, you know, kind of that that, you know, what you guys are doing and and kind of how it's going right now in Kenya. For sure. Yeah, so we um we now have some lending programs going both in Kenya and the Philippines. So we have some uh, geographic diversification risk for different investor appetites and desires. And also just because the reality is this is a massive global problem. I, I mean, different estimates put it at something like $5 trillion, the, the, the microfinancing credit gap or micro business, the MSME uh, credit gap. I would um, and uh, yeah, I mean... Um, and so what we what we do basically is you know providing MSME finance when I say MSME for that's like micro small medium enterprise um, this has been one of these challenges that uh, I think fintech still hasn't co- quite gotten right I mean just for like the paint the landscape as I mentioned earlier right you basically have banks in these markets who will they'll lend to large legitimate you know, large enterprises who need like loans of say ten thousand dollars or more. But below 10000 they probably won't really go there. And then at the other bottom end of the spectrum is you have a lot of these consumer lending apps or folks who will maybe do buy now, pay later kind of products. And that sort of takes care of consumer use cases, but it comes with a pretty high price tag and it might not go above, say, $500. So you have this like pretty 
open white space of any small business that has a need for affordable financing between 500 and, and maybe $10,000 is really just not being met. And there are existing, you know, fintech lending models that have proven decently effective in the West. And I think what we're doing is trying to take some of those approaches um, and make them happen in emerging markets. And this, this is enabled on, on some building blocks and trends that have happened in the last couple of years. For one, you now have way more digitization of commerce records in emerging markets than you ever had. And that's mm-hmm. because more and more businesses are using point of sale or inventory management software. Um, you have larger uh, wholesalers who are sort of aggregating more data about small retailers than ever before. And so what we do is we actually partner with um, with networks or with companies that have a network of MSMEs who need financing somewhere in the value chain. That could be um, financing a supply chain or financing a distribution chain for the most part. So the, and, and, and that's where we basically, we, we go into a market by partnering with these folks as opposed to sort of like walking down the street and, you know, knocking on every little shop and saying, Hey, do you need the loan? Do you need a loan? Do you need a loan? Um, and the benefit of that is that we really are meeting folks with, from a place of trust, right? Because, uh, I'll just give an, ex- I'll just make this real, like tell an example of our first, uh, our first lending program. So in Kenya, we've partnered with this company called Ilara Health. Ilara Health is, I mean, their mission is really to make affordable, healthcare more accessible across Kenya. Um, and so they work with really small uh, local medical clinics, sort of like mom and pop shops. You can imagine, that, I mean, they might be on the roadside. They might just have like, you know, one little small doctor's room. Some of them might have like an x-ray machine or a couple pieces of equipment. What Alara Health does is they provide some low-cost diagnostic devices and they sell medicines to these clinics. And so they make, you know, a decent, they make some margin selling medicines wholesale to the clinics. The clinics, of course, all want financing. And that's natural, right? Because they buy the medicines, let's say on a Monday, but yep. maybe a patient doesn't come in until Thursday. And maybe the patient won't even pay for another week because they need to wait until they get their salary or their insurance has to pay out. So you have these clinics who have this working capital problem and it's sort of sitting and Alara is sitting there not able to sell as many, as many medicines as they'd like. And you have clinics who aren't able to keep their stock shelves, which means they have to turn away patients at the end of the day. Um, of course, Ilara could extend financing, but that's not what their balance sheet is for. They're there to run a healthcare business. So we partner with them and we step in and we say, hey, we'll be your financing partner. Um, we basically get, Elara shares really rich data about these clinics because they have a ton of it from their inventory management software. And so we know, okay, these clinics have been here for this long. This is the kind of neighborhood they're in. This is the kind of medicines they're selling. This is their margins. And we use that data to underwrite the clinics and then offer them basically an inventory financing product, which says, okay, you usually buy whatever, $1,000 of medicine a week. Well, here, we'll finance $800 of your next purchase or something like that. And that lets the clinics, of course, just like function more efficiently. Um, when the clinics repay, that's when they experience their first sort of GIA token reward. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- that model I just mentioned, that's sort of, we're, we're doing something similar to that just in different verticals across Kenya and the Philippines. So we're doing a, something similar that lets small retail shops buy things like cooking oil and cooking flour on credit. Um, we're also trying slightly different models where instead of financing inventory, we might finance, say, an invoice, which in some ways is a bit more secured. I mean, this is a really common challenge with, say, you're supplying tomatoes to a restaurant and maybe you send an invoice to the restaurant, but the restaurant doesn't pay you for two months or something like that. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, you've got to like, you know, pay your labor on your tomato farm or pay the truck driver who delivered the tomatoes. And so we'll step in and pr- provide some invoice or receivables financing there. 
Um, so that's sort of generally how we work. And we now have eight of these partners live across Kenya and the Philippines. Um, it's still really early days. We have just a couple hundred of these borrowers, but so far the uptake is, is really strong. Uh, I mean, it's no surprise. It's not a, it's, it's, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a small need. Everyone has a real financing need. And if you can provide something affordable and accessible, people are probably going to take it up. Where we're still really in the early days of learning and sort of haven't really learned that much yet is on the concept of the GEO token because we haven't launched a token yet. So what we do today is we sort of are trying to get as many learnings from customers as possible about how they will interact with that token by basically replicating them with GEO loyalty points. And the idea of a point uh, is it will have some of the functionality that a token ultimately will. So for example, they'll unlock credit rewards, lower interest rates, or higher loan amounts, or longer longer loan terms. But we also can use these points to sort of integrate directly with these partners to provide more customized rewards. So in the example of Ilara Health, I mentioned serving those medical clinics, once customers get a certain number of GIA points, then Ilara might come in and run a, a training for how to use a new uh, piece of medical equipment, or they'll repaint their clinic to make it look more beautiful or help them do local marketing efforts. Um, so we're really envisioning sort of a whole ecosystem created around these points and, and ultimately tokens. Um, of course, that's, that's sort of awesome. just one. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that, that, I mean, to me, this is, again, this is the promise of DeFi. This is decentralization. This is exactly what you want is, is being able to do that peer to peer lending and the, and kind of that, that idea of, you know, in, in first world countries, people be like, I don't understand. And, and, you know, why, why does somebody need a, a $20 loan? Like, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's one of those things that we, most people are very fortunate in, in the United States and a variety of other countries around the world that they don't have to think that small. Um, but when, you know, sometimes, you know, you're, you're making a dollar a week, um, you know, $20 can, can mean the difference between, you know, you know, your, your family being able to continue doing what, you know, kind of whatever business operation you are, um, or, or being out of business and, and having to start all over. And so, you know, these are, these totally. are the same clients that were, were, you know, kind of doing a lot of the things with Axie Infinity before it crashed and burned, mm-hmm. um, where, you know, again, we would think, oh my God, somebody just spent 10 hours to, to, to make $15, uh, of Axie Infinities. Um, and the reality is that kept them out of the sweatshops that kept them out of, you know, the rice paddies and, and a variety of other kind of bad working conditions. Um, and so I, I entirely endorse any way that, that, you know, you can bridge that gap. Um, that's the biggest one between kind of first and third world countries and, and really kind of provide easy liquidity, uh, to people that will make a massive difference. And it's a relatively small amount for most of us. Totally. And that's, and that and there is, makes it brings out a really good point because what I just described is sort of like the borrower end of the ecosystem, but what we're developing now, which is about to go live, hopefully it'll be live by the time this podcast stares. Um, but obviously you can just like check, you know, gia.xyz to see the latest, um, but is actually launching the investor side. So mm. for today, this lending we've been doing, you know, I'd call it like in a way it's like pilot balance sheet lending that we've been doing on Gia's own balance sheet just to prove the model. Um, but what, what of course we're going to be doing is opening up those investment opportunities to investors around the globe, because for now, a lot of emerging markets investment opportunities are sort of still limited to um, to, you know, to institutions of a certain size, it's really difficult as a retail investor to participate in those. Um, but what we're, we're launching is an on-chain liquidity pool so that investors anywhere can, you know, anyone who has any money, um, can put it on chain and then put their money in that liquidity pool. And then that money goes to fund these small businesses. And what we really envision is sort of the end state, which isn't going to take us too long to get to, but is, you know, I think what we all are hoping for in this world of, 
of decentralized finance is like if we all could just like close our eyes and get like plugged into the matrix and anyone who had any money anywhere that needs a return, they just put it there. And anyone who has any need for financing can go get it, right? That's what we want to move to. And so that's sort of what we're beginning to build with these liquidity pools, the idea that people can keep their money there. Uh, small businesses can off ramp it, provide a return, and then the investors can take it out and do whatever they want with it. So um, we're beginning to see more protocols and, and projects doing things like this. I mean, I think probably a lot of your listeners know about Goldfinch, which uh, lets investors put uh, basically lend money to other lenders. So like the kind of borrower from Goldfinch would be like the company where I used to work, right? Basically, the borrower entity is a lending company. So it's not like an actual Kenyan small business is going to Goldfinch. They're still going to the lender who might have gotten some capital from Goldfinch. I think we're just trying to go the next step and actually connecting the investors directly with the end business. Yeah, it, 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 this is, you know, again, um, I've seen a lot of Web2 companies that have tried to do this, <clears throat> you know, where they're trying to connect uh, borrower, <clears throat> excuse me, borrowers and, and lenders um, from a very Web2 perspective. And it, it ends up turning into this very weird classified ads thing, of, mm-hmm. you know, like, hey, do you want to invest in, you know, a, person A, B and C and you've got to read their little business plans and it's like for, you know, Ten dollars, a hundred dollars, and um, it, it becomes a very complicated deal, um, and, and also a, a massive upkeep uh, as a Web two protocol for for someone like you to have to do that versus going into the decentralized world. And you know, again, I, truly, there's so many of us that have capital on chain that we're just going. You know, we're earning some some you know extra shit coins by by staking mm-hmm. and doing this and everything else. Right. And so the concept of of doing good um, and being able to provide value to someone in the world is is an amazing concept that I, I love what Gia is is doing in your in your roadmap. You know, walk us through kind of you know some of the lessons and warnings you've had in this early beta test because I, I I do know a number of protocols like like this that have been working on it and generally the pitfalls come pretty quickly. So I'd I'd love to hear kind of you know how you guys have worked around um, some of the early problems and and kind of how you see scaling going. Totally. Well, so a lot of my energy right now has been more focused sort of on the grassroots level of getting borrowers in places like Kenya and the Philippines. And some of the learnings, I would say, aren't even necessarily like on-chain learnings as much as just basic product learnings, which I think are just as important, right? And so for us, for example, you know, I came before this, I was working at a consumer lender, right? Where a lot of times the way we'd acquire customers was just through say like a Facebook ad. And it was pretty low friction for someone to say, yep, I'm going to take this hundred dollar loan. Cause it's just like between me and between me and myself. Um, but trying to do small business loans, it actually requires like a certain, an extra level of trust, right? Because you have, even if they're a sole proprietor who only employs maybe themselves and like an assistant, or obviously if they have employees, there's just more of a burden to run their business in this really responsible way. And so before someone takes out a 500 or a thousand dollar loan for their business, it turns out there's like a lot more, it just requires slightly more, more touch points, right. To understand mm-hmm. like, who is this person I'm taking a loan for? Do I really want to get into, cause I'm getting into business with them. And so for that, that's where we really had to double down on this, like working through trusted partners and really under- making sure that we're not just sort of some random foreign app, but we're actually a part of their community. And I think that's an area where the, the, the concept of like this ownership economy through a token can actually really, really, um, really help. I mean, one thing that we're, we're working on sort of in, in offline prototypes, but I think is going to be really exciting. And it's something that we've sort of heard from borrowers already is, um, because of the sort of social nature of finance where people are used to borrowing and saving together and helping out their friends, 
it's not uncommon that from our first borrowers, we've heard, hey, you know, I have a, I have a cousin or I have a neighbor who, who runs a good business and they need financing too. Can, can we help them out? And today, the process, if you wanted to do that, say, in your local community finance organization in, in Kenya, is maybe you could, you could put up collateral for that cousin. You'd say, hey, my cousin's good for it. I want to introduce her to the SACO, to the, the, the cooperative. Um, and you'd put up collateral for your cousin, and then your cousin would repay, and your collateral would be freed. But like, you wouldn't necessarily get anything. And so one of the really cool ideas we've now had for the GEO token because of this behavior that we've seen is what if people... Um, they want to, they sort of act as a guarantor or a sponsor for their cousin. They could stake their GIA tokens or any other currency, but, you know, maybe more powerful if they'd keep it within the, within the GIA token economy. And then when that borrower repays, they actually, the person who was the guarantor gets, you know, rewards on top of their collateral because effectively what they've done is they've underwritten the loan. They've made it possible. And I guess the way, you know, when I'm explaining what we do at GIA to someone who's like never heard of anything blockchain or never even really thought about this, is it's just sort of rejiggering the math a little bit on where the value distribution happens. In that today, when financial institutions make a loan to someone, they basically capture all the value that is, is produced by that borrower. And what we're just changing the deck a little bit is, you know, the borrowers, they work really hard to create value with that loan. They get to keep a little bit of the upside. And if, if a sponsor or a guarantor came in and helped, they get to keep a bit of the upside too. Uh, just creating a bit more of the circular ownership economy. That's uh, and again to me this is this is what you know Web three should be doing. It's it's you know kind of making the entire world a little bit smaller. Um, mm-hmm. And really, you know, there, there's so much that people want to do good, and and you know, but also there's there's that monetary thing. We want to you know you want to make money. You want to have good returns on your capital and whatnot. And micro ones are, are for the people that understand them and and really focus in on them. They do very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and and. While you think of oh you don't want to be a you know a, a loan shark or anything else, the reality right. is they have no other choice. Um, and so when you when you start providing choices, and and you know Gia is going to be one of you know many uh, micro loan processors that creates an ecosystem and that cr- does create competition um, and a lot and absolutely does drive down those prices. And so the thought that you know while while you know I'm so excited for everything that you're doing and and I'm you know again anything Wells can do to help you know push this um, you know into into various parts of the world that desperately. Need need it. You know, the, the great thing is, is when we, you know, kind of in, the, in, in our world, when we look at DeFi, we're shopping for the best rates. You know, right. we're, we're going on to Zapperfy or any any of these other ones and we're saying, hey, I want to swap, you know, token A to token B and just whoop, it, here's the, the 20 different DeFi protocols. Let's go ahead and grab the best one. And the concepts that, that we're seeing here is, you know, very soon they will have a choice. They can look and say, you know, do I want Gia with, with their rates and their terms or do I want somebody else with their rates and their terms? And, and building that ecosystem and building that that idea that people don't have to go to the loan sharks, that they can get the best rates and the best terms, even though they have no idea who's lending to them, and the person that's lending to them has no idea who's borrowing it. I, I think it's so cool to see. Definitely. I actually really like what you said about this idea that people need choices. And, you know, the reason, because people always talk about why are the rates so high for, you know, what, what whatever lender is. And it's like, well, I mean, usually the rates are just a function of the default risk that has to be taken. And mm-hmm. if there's any competitive pressure, I mean, if there's, if, if there's more competition, then the, the rates are going to come down. Um, I think what we're trying to build at GIA, which I, which I really like that this it's, you know, it's baked into the ethos of, of the idea of a blockchain is that your transactions are recorded for perpetuity. And so what happens with GIA borrowers, when someone takes loans and they repay, 
they're beginning to build that on-chain history, even if they don't know it. Like today, they might not know because they really just experienced this through a very basic Web2 app. I'm taking loans and shillings. I'm repaying them. But what's happening in the background, of course, is those you know those loans have been taken from an on-chain pool and they've been repaid back into an on-chain pool. And so you actually have borrowers who are developing this on-chain credit history. And this is an area where, uh, I mean, I don't think it's quite fully developed yet in the world of Web3. We don't really have great on-chain credit scoring just yet. Um, and there's a couple of protocols we're working on. I think cred protocol is, is, is tinkering around with some cool stuff. But our hope is that, I think in general as an entrepreneur, what you kind of want to do is you know, skate to where the puck is going. And so we have the sense that there's going to be more and more on-chain credit scoring that's coming down the road. People are going to have more and more um, sort of seamless user experiences of how to have a crypto wallet and have how to access on-chain services. And our hope is that like in 10 years, you know, let's say GIA borrowers have developed this great on-chain history. I mean, then take that history and go access the best source of capital you can, even if it's not from GIA. Yeah. And, and, and that's exactly, you know, the, and by the way, I've got, I'll give you a couple of recommendations for people that actually know, I know are in Africa and currently uh, doing some of that trust. They, they don't call oh, cool. it credit, they call it trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's a really interesting way to say, you know, we want to have this, this, this goal of digital identity, digital ownership. I own my, my, my ID. Um, and, and who do you want to give loans to? Loans to? You want to give people that you trust, even though you may not know them. Um, understanding that, hey, they, they're a good citizen. They're, you know, they, they have a good repertoire on, on eBay. They've got a good, you know, history with, with a variety of other services. This is, this is the job they do. Yeah. You're, you're a taxi driver and you've got a, uh, or you're a taxi driver and Uber driver with a 4.8 rating. Great. Great. You know, and, and you've done 800 rides. That that's, that's enough metrics for me to give you a $200 loan so that you can get your tire fixed so you can keep doing what you're doing. Right. Um, right. And, and I really am, am just amazed and, and around the concepts that you're throwing out here. And I love kind of how fluid you're just going, look, it's not there today, but we need to at least plan on that where that's where it's going to be versus just another DeFi protocol that's like token A, token B, swap and, and you know, good luck. Right, right. Yeah, I, that's, I mean, honestly, that's not, that's not where we come to it. I think there are always going to be, that's, that's part of this economy, right? Is like part of what drives any innovation probably is some hyper-financialized speculation. I mean, that's what funded like the railroads and like exploration companies back in the day. But that's definitely not, that's not what we're here for. And I think I'm actually kind of grateful to be experiencing a bit of this crypto winter so we can just put our heads down and build and not be too distracted with, hey, we got to launch a token to meet some speculators' demands. Yeah, and, and that's exactly it. It's it, you're, you're you're taking your time, you're you're crawling, walking, and then running, doing the test before you roll it out globally and whatnot. Um, what's been some? What's been kind of like one of the coolest first successes you've seen uh, from from being able to do this? Any good stories? Yeah, you know, I, some of them just personally. I think what I what what gets me excited is, um, of course, I you know I, I I like all the work of like working at a tech company and like designing a product spec and talking to investors and all that. But what's really exciting for me, I mean, why I chose this career, as I mentioned, is just hanging out with people running small businesses and trying to provide something helpful for them. And so I was, uh, I guess two weeks ago when I was in Nairobi, I was in this market. I was actually there to take some photos for the new GIA website um, because we were sort of visiting some of our initial initial borrowers. And I met this guy in this market who wasn't a GIA borrower yet, but he sort of was working with one of our partners. So we figured, hey, we, we probably should be able to underwrite this guy. But I was just talking to him and trying to understand his business. And basically what he does, he sells spices from like a tiny little stall in a pretty crowded market. 
and it was so impressive. He actually, I mean, he has his own brand, like Emperor Spices. You know, he's made his own little logo. Um, it's like in a place that you wouldn't expect necessarily to see someone with logos because most of the things are just being sold sort of in big bulk piles. Yeah. And um, while I was there, uh, a, some guy who runs a nearby restaurant came by asking for like five kgs of sesame seeds. And the guy, uh, the, the, the shop owner, his name is Francis. Francis was like, oh, I'm sorry, I got to come back tomorrow because I don't have sesame seeds. And I asked Francis, like, well, why not? And he's like, well, I buy my sesame seeds every other day because they have like a high unit price. And so I can't really, I just can't buy, I can't like keep more than like 10 kgs in my shop because they're just expensive. Um, and so of course what that means is he buys smaller quantities at a higher unit price and he runs out of them faster. And like, he literally couldn't do this transaction for this local restaurant. It's just like such an obvious case for financing. And I'm like, well, what are your existing options? And he talked, you know, he showed me, he has some mobile lending apps where he could borrow for like 15% per month. But the reality is like, it's just like that, that price is like too high to make the extra margin worth it. And so I was like, okay, well, let's figure out what we can do to, to make this work. And so we looked at the, the, we're working with him through a partner called Sasa Pay. They basically have a, like sort of like a mobile wallet, mobile payments solution in Kenya. And so they have all these records of Francis selling his spices. And so we just thought, okay, well, like, what can we do to sort of like use, like use our, our data science algorithms to backwardsly assess uh, that Francis would be good for a 20,000 shilling loan, which is less than $200. Um, and, uh, and we, and we did that. So now he actually can buy his sesame seeds once a week. You know, it's still not like he's not buying like the world's worth of sesame seeds, but at least you can buy a hundred kg at a time instead of 10 kg. Right. And so I'm really excited to just follow Francis's progress because this was literally just last month. So let's see, you know, let's do another podcast in six months and see how Francis is spiced. Let's, let's doing. bring Francis on. I want to, I want to <laughs> hear from him directly how this is going. Totally. This is great. I love that. I, and he's, I'm sure he'd love it too. So, you know, when we're really talking about, you know, making changes to this world, and, and I think that that's what you're trying to do is you're trying to, you know, bridge these gaps. And, and that's what Web3 should be is a bridge. Um, you know, what, what are kind of some of the challenges you see? Because in, in a lot of parts of the world, you know, this is, um, you know, regulations change, they shift. There's a lot of, you know, what's KYC and AML? Well, you know, oh, you have to have it. You know, there's, so there's a lot of those things. How, how are you managing the regulatory side of all this? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, we are very proactively engaging with regulators in all the markets where we operate. Um, you know, what's interesting, you know, Kenya has historically been a real leader in fintech and like technology innovation. There's higher mobile and digital financial services penetration in Kenya than pretty much anywhere in the world because of M-Pesa, which is this mobile money that basically everyone uses for transactions. Um, but while sort of M-Pesa put them in, in the frontier, I think the regulators probably recently gotten a little bit more conservative and I think innovation has kind of slowed down. And right now they you know, the, the regulators there have just assembled sort of a, a working committee on blockchain across a bunch of different regulatory bodies, like the capital markets authority and the central bank. Um, but I think what, from my conversations there, there's a lot of regulars, regulators who individually, like they're really excited about crypto. Like they read CoinDesk and Cointelegraph and they maybe personally are like, playing around on chain with stuff, but then in their official regulatory capacity, they realize they have to work within the system where you just have some people who maybe just hear the word crypto and immediately assume scam. Like it's almost, it's sad, but it, you know, crypto is almost synonymous with like, like a get rich quick scam. We, kind we've of, done this to ourselves. Know? Totally. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I mean, every time something like FTX happens, it really just like sets everything back years because I think people just, People, I mean, there already were a ton of scamster, like scam artists. I mean, scam artists exist whether it's crypto or not. Like, people are going to like 
you know, offer investment opportunities that are like too good to be true. But I think crypto just like allows so much more of it to happen because it already so much of it is going over people's heads. And I guess I worry that we're now in a place because of some of these, you know, like uh, black eyes that crypto has now on its on its face. Um, uh, I, I think it's it's educated regulators just need a lot more education than ever before, and so do consumers because consumers have to not get taken advantage of. And I think that's a real a real concern. I mean, I saw this at my last company. It's forget crypto. I mean, just with basic stuff, we we see kind of fraud um, attacks where maybe someone would go into a, a community and would say to a bunch of people, hey, if you um, say I'm from a bank and if you sign up with me, then I'll give you a loan. And effectively what they were doing was they were just taking people's like KYC data so that they could sign up for a loan yeah. under their names and then just basically getting these other people that didn't realize they were taking loans trapped in debt. And so, you know, in any community where there isn't a ton of education to begin with, you're just going to have people who are more susceptible to these sorts of scams and so um, that is definitely a challenge. Yeah, but I, I like what you're doing with going, you're going to the, the kind of one level up and, mm-hmm. and allowing them to funnel through who's going to be, you know, who, who can they give loans to. And so to me, yeah. um, you know, if, if, I'm, if I have a choice as a, as a uh, lender, meaning that I'd like to put liquidity in, into, into GIA and, and I have the choice between, um, you know, a variety of different, different companies and I see, well, okay, these guys are doing financing for medical sales. Uh, yeah. These guys are, are doing financing for, you know, uh, taxi, automobile maintenance and, and that kind of things. Um, and this other one is doing, you know, financing for, um, you know, doesn't really say, and there's no real score yeah, behind it. Right. You're, you're going to want to choose the ones you go. Yeah, there's, you know, of course, I want to, I want to finance medicine and transportation. Um, those are two key things that are going away. The the other one, it's, I'm not entirely sure what that is. I'm sure it's great, but you know, that that's just not where I'm there. And and you know, again, that idea of digital trust um, can be built because while we may not understand what company C actually does, but as people start to give them more more liquidity and and they repay and they go, look, I don't know what they do, but they repaid 99.8 percent of their loans. Yeah. Um, okay. Great. Here you go. Keep keep going at it, and and I think that's really what Web three is promising to do. Is it's not you saying here's who I here's who I believe and doing the Yelp thing where you mm-hmm. know this person gets a gold star because they paid this much. This person gets you know the no no bad reviews because they because they're a regular subscriber. Um, you know you're trying to do the true decentralization and, and digital identity deal. So that's all. That's amazing. Definitely. Yeah. That's what we're. Uh... I think that's what we're going. I mean, you, you said it well. I don't think I have to add anything. <laughs> I, I catch up pretty quick, Zach. I, I, it really, I just I, I thank you for the work you're doing. I know this is a business, and I know that you know you're really hoping to to make a good ROI and and you know you know do really good fiduciary things for your investors and and everyone else. But it's really a good project. And it really, you know, it, it seems at this time, like you really have your heart in the right place. You're starting in a in a very underserved market that definitely can use liquidity and also can help with the protection from traditional loan sharks um, that are just quite simply preying on people. So I, I, I really endorse everything you guys are doing and I'm excited to see how we can help. That all being said, um, you're a full-time professional in the space. You're seeing a lot of things. You're watching every single podcast you can. You're educating yourself as much as you can on a daily basis about where this is going. What's kind of your thoughts over the next you know year or so um, of where this industry is going to be going and, and where you're going to continue to skate to where the puck is moving to? Mm, yeah, I love that analogy of skating to where the puck is moving to. I guess there's maybe like three areas that I'm thinking of, like where where can we be in a year that we're not at yet? Maybe like one is technology, one is sort of a user experience product, and one is maybe just like a general like mindset about this. So on the technology, I think 
something I'm really excited about and that I feel like my Telegram chats are always blowing up about is this concept of like real world assets and how do we bring real world assets on chain? And you've already seen a lot of exciting movement in like in, in the US, there's like different projects that are bringing sort of like US real estate transactions on chain. Um, but what we don't have yet is for a guy like Francis, how do we bring his spice sales on chain, right? How could we unlock liquidity? Imagine, imagine Francis had an invoice to that local restaurant that says, Hey, I'm going to sell you a hundred kgs of sesame seeds. How do we take that invoice from that Kenyan restaurant, put it on chains that an investor across the world can take ownership of that asset and have a claim to that revenue stream and make it actually enforceable? Because right now you could do it, but there's just some broken pieces, right? Like who's actually going to collect from that restaurant? How do we bring that restaurant's funds on chain? And it's just like, there's some pieces that are kind of missing, but I think, um, the and like I mean, it's like legal structures have to be built for that. Um, but I think when you look in the news and see things like the Block Tower MakerDAO centrifuge deal, which is like this like massive um, real world asset on chain deal, um, and some of the other projects that are just that are happening, like I think someone just like bought a house on chain or something, um, <laughs> that you you start to think, okay, we're going to get there. We're going to be able to develop the structure. So that's like maybe a technology thing. Um, on user experience, I really, I mean, I think this is probably what everyone talks about at like every blockchain conference, but it's just like, how do we get the wallet experience right so that for someone who's never directly interacted with crypto on chain before, it's not such a scary thing where they feel like, oh my God, am I just like signing up to lose all my money? Am I about to get scammed? Is my wallet going to get liquidated? Or if they're not even sophisticated enough to think about that, just like, how do I do this? Like, wh- what do you mean I have to remember this crazy seed phrase? Um, what if I don't, you say I need an email, what if I don't have an email, what if I just have a phone? Um, and so basically making more sort of mobile first, um, just user friendly, uh, interfaces to, to access on chain, I think is something I'm just always looking at. And I think those are the kind of partners we'll want to bring on board for serving our customers at GIA. And I guess the third is like the mindset is, um, both for everyone in this ecosystem, if you're an investor, I mean, I think there's always just going to be the DGENs who are chasing just like triple digit yields and are always like sort of playing that game. Um, I just hope that the crypto community expands to just sort of have like more like well-intentioned normies who just want to see like the expansion of financial access and don't think of like blockchain as this like or, or crypto as this like crazy anarcho-libertarian subculture, but it's actually just like another technology to unlock financial access in new ways. And that the, you know, that the expectation is not, oh, I get into crypto because I'm going to like get super duper rich in like three months. It's actually, you know what, this is just a new expansion of the financial system that is more human friendly than the old institution centric rules. Um, And I'm, and I'm comfortable with like a good return that beats like the S&P 500, but it doesn't have to be like absurd, right? Because that's where like the shit coins get their name. And so that's sort of like a mindset shift I'd love to see on on the investor side and then just on like the regulator side, I'd love for crypto not to be like a bad word anymore. Um, yeah. And that's sort of what I'm working towards in my conversations with them. No. And, and that's amazing. And, and you attended ETH Denver. I, I was yeah. there as well. I think both of us spoke in different ends of the of yeah. that massive, that massive right. complex. And, and I think it really, you know, what I took away from, from that conference is we are so far from mainstream. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to say what an amazing conference put together, what an amazing group of people. Um, but, but it, I attend trade shows and conferences all around the world, you know, on a consistent basis. And it really showcased how, how far we, that, that, that group is really away from mainstream adoption. 
because mm-hmm. it's still internal speak. It's still, you know, it, they're, they're, it's still a very insider club that, you know, most, most people like, you know, traditional families are not going to go in there and go, Oh, this is where I should put my money is the, the, the guys right. in the weird hoodies. Like, and that's right. cool. I'm okay with it. We're fine. But, but, but eventually we want mainstream adoption. If the goal is, you know, 300 million and then a billion and then 2 billion users to come online, you know, we, we've got to tone down a little bit of the, the, the fanboy fangirl club that mm-hmm. we're doing um, and really work towards like, this is secure and it's more secure. And until we get to that point where we can say, because right now, no, I, there's no argument. This is a, a more secure system. It's highly unsecured. It's 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 a disaster in, in so many ways, um, and and so we have a lot of maturity to do. But I'm excited to see that you know, little by little, those of us that understand real business, real adoption, real real um, clients' needs, um, that we're going to get there using the technology that's been built by the by the crazy kids in the hoodies. Amen. Amen. Awesome, Zach. Where can they find more if they want to get involved with uh, Gia? So our website is gia.xyz, that's J-I-A.xyz. And I guess the story actually worth telling, uh, why are we called Gia, sort of like goes to our multilingual global heritage. Uh, so my co-founder is from China, and Jia in Chinese means home or family, which we think of like, like the central financial unit we're expanding upon. In Hindi, Jia means heart, and we're building banking with a heart. And in Swahili, uh, which is the language I speak in Kenya, where we've launched. And Gia means road or path. And we think of this as like the path to financial independence. So Gia.xyz, that's why it's called that. And then on Twitter, we're Gia underscore DeFi. And if you follow along with us, then uh, you can see when our on-chain pool is launched and you can connect your wallet and you know invest some funds for entrepreneurs like Francis. I, I'm signing up right now. Francis and I are going to do great. I'm excited for, for my new business partner and we're going to have a good time. Zach, thank you for everything you're doing. Really excited. We got some connections we're going to make for you as well on that on that trust side. Uh, but with that being said, why Wales? This is Gia and Zach. We'll catch you guys next time. Be good. Why Wales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbeck passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. YWales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywales.com. YWales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by Truthwork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.